Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Points of View podcast. In this episode, you'll hear dance educator Mary Wood interviewing ballet master Betsy Erickson and principal dancers Sarah Van Patten and Tiet Helmets. This interview was recorded on May 3rd, 2017, before a performance of Christopher Wielden's Cinderella. Hope you enjoy. Good evening, everyone. I want to welcome you all. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet. It's my pleasure to be here with you tonight in the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco and to welcome you to our final Points of View program for the 2017 season. This um, 2017 repertory season comes to a close in the most spectacular and delightful way possible with Christopher Wilden's Cinderella. As every fairy tale should be, it's a full-on theatrical experience with as much fantasy and magic as you could wish. My companions this evening will take us behind the scenes a bit with their points of view about the production and about the dancing and about telling the story. On my far right, on your left, Betsy Erickson has been a member of the San Francisco Ballet family for probably the longest of anyone around. Having begun as a dancer during the Lou Christensen era in the 1960s, she took a couple of breaks, one to make a trek to New York where she performed with American Ballet Theater for five years. She returned to San Francisco and performed principal roles here from 1972 until her retirement from the stage in 1984. After working as a ballet master for the Oakland Ballet and traveling internationally as a choreographer and director, she returned to San Francisco Ballet in 1992. And here, 25 years later, she continues as a ballet master and one of the ballet masters for the production of Cinderella. And then jumping across to Sarah Van Patten, Sarah joined the company as a soloist in 2002, was promoted to principal five years later. She's danced lead roles in almost the entire classical repertoire and is a top choice for most of our visiting choreographers, particularly Christopher Wilden. She appears as Cinderella in the current production and danced the role of the stepsister Edwina during the premiere season. And Tiet Helmets, suitably dressed in white as our prince, I think. Uh, he has danced every prince in the classical repertoire that I could find and has created roles and performed in the entire contemporary repertoire program, uh, spectrum from Balanchine and Robbins to William Forsyth and Wayne McGregor and, of course, Christopher Wilden. <clears throat> and he appears as Cinderella's Prince in the current production. So please welcome my guests and thank you all for being with us tonight. Thank you. I was delighted to have access to some wonderful slides of the ballet, which I'm going to kind of flip through without too much comment, and then we can go back to some of them when we are in conversation, if it makes sense for us to um, reference some of the pictures while we're talking. Um, here we are with 
artistic director and principal choreographer Helgi Thomason on your left, in the center choreographer Christopher Wilden, and on the right, Ted Brunson, who is the director of the Dutch National Ballet, and they are resident choreographer there. Um, the comment would be to remind you that our Cinderella is a co-production with the Dutch National Ballet, and Christopher Wilden created it on both companies pretty much at the same time, which is its own adventure. Um, an image from, the, from early in the ballet. This is um, an important storytelling um, episode in which the, the, uh, the character of Cinderella is given her origin as a young child. And um, we'll talk more about that. These are the great characters of the family. And in this picture, we have Jennifer Stahl as the stepmother. I think she goes by the name Hortensia. Is that right? And Cinderella's father. And the two stepsisters in pink, we have Sasha de Sola as Edwina. And um, is that Ellen Rose as Clementine? Um, Maria Kochakova as Cinderella in the first scene. That's probably a very familiar image from the story. This is not so familiar, and one of the most delightful things about the production is the humor that is infused by the production team. Uh, this might be a good moment to point out, if you look at the photograph on the upper right, the portrait, the larger one, do you recognize the face? See it up there. That's in the square Christ frame. The in, the square in the square frame. frame. In the square frame. Upper upper right. That's Christopher Wheeldon. And one of the Betsy, you told me one of the other pictures is uh, yeah, Jackie, who is his assistant. assistant. Yeah, she's in the smaller frame, just down on the left of Christopher Wheeldon's picture. Yeah, that's Jackie. And. It's worth saying that's one of the great gimmicks in the, in the production. Um, in the opening scenes, we have the prince, we have his friend Benjamin, we have his father and his mother, we have the family, um, I believe he's called the, the valet? What is his name? Oh, he's kind of like the butler. That's, um, what's his name? Huh? Yeah. He's yeah. the, he's the, he runs he's the, the household. He's Benjamin. Yeah, he's Benjamin's father. Yes, Benjamin's father. Yeah. And Benjamin Alfred. and yeah, Benjamin Alfred. and the prince become dear friends. Um, important in this production are the four characters, these four figures, who um, perhaps in a minute, Betsy, I'm going to get you to describe them, and and the role that they fulfill uh, with Cinderella. And, of course, I mentioned magic. The characters and the costumes and the productions are simply incredible. And um, these are just some of the fanciful characters that you will see. Here's a moment of magic with some more of the fanciful characters. 
One of the most important characters in this production is this tree. It is. So we'll talk about the tree in a minute. And the tree that does more. And the spirits of the seasons and of the tree. Spectacular. Of course, what Cinderella story would be complete without a ball and a ballroom. And this is a pretty spectacular ballroom. This production is just rich with character and humor. This is a great moment. Another great moment. The romance. Of course, there's a pas de deux. I mentioned characters and fantasy. And this is one of the most spectacular scenes in the storytelling. And it's only, what, a minute and a half long? And, of course, there's a wedding and a happily ever after. So I'm going to back up, and I'm going to start, actually, Betsy, with asking you to say a little bit about, there's a good one. We'll stop with that one. This production is just spectacular, and you have had the opportunity to see the whole production, I mean, oversee the whole production, working with all aspects of it, particularly when it was created five years ago with the design team and with Christopher Wilden, of course, and his concepts. So I wonder if you would just jump in and talk a little bit about the creation of the magic and the special effects and how that was really how we get to this fantasy story. Well, there's so many special effects. Um, one, of the, one of the delights that I had of working with his production was working with a puppeteer named Basil Twist who um, created a lot of the um, illusions that are really puppetry and also the the creation of the masks and the characters and things and Basil um, oversaw all of those kinds of special effects of the tree growing um, and of the creatures in the forest when Cinderella is dancing with the seasons and the creatures Um, so it's a giant tree and she actually gets pulled through the tree, um, which is a very magical moment because she just disappears and it looks like a tree and she's, suddenly she's gone. But the magic giant tree is created. There are several flat um, branches and, and sections of tree that are actually just flat. But the illusion of kind of three-dimensional and movement of leaves is created by projecting the tree onto the tree and the tree parts move a little bit move up and down and it gives the illusion of like the wind blowing in the leaves and then of course there's all kinds of lighting effects in the tree that change with the seasons because we have uh, spring, summer 
fall and winter and the lighting in the tree changes at those times too. Um, so it's just, it's so rich in that way that there's so many layers and the collaboration, Basil Twist came here, all of, the whole uh, creative team came here and also in Amsterdam. So it was a co-produced and co-developed, co-created um, between those these two companies. And uh, so I think what we have is a really beautiful and rich production. A question about that co-production. Is there, in effect, one set? Yes, there's one, there's actually one production of sets mm -hmm. and costumes mm -hmm. that we share. So that meant that <clears throat> the costumes, you know, had to fit two different companies, which mm -hmm. they basically do, and also two different stages which they basically do. They have a very huge stage in Amsterdam, and the Opera House, of course, is quite large. So everything was made to the kind of scale that could fit in both places. Um, I'll come back to asking you some more questions about the production. But, um, Sarah, at this point, let's talk a little bit about the dancing and about Christopher Wilden and his choreography. Um, I made the remark that you've danced most of the prince princesses. You've danced a lot of leads in classic works. Um, you also have danced so many of Christopher Wilden's pas de deux. Do you feel as though um, his choreography suits you? Well, the first Christopher Wielden ballet I danced was when I joined the company 15 years ago. So I definitely have grown um, mm -hmm. into his work and watched his work grow mm -hmm. over the years. So when he choreographed Cinderella, it definitely felt pretty comfortable um, and both working with him and dancing his steps. So I think that made... We, we have also developed a good friendship over the years, which makes the working relationship that much more enjoyable. Um, I remember when Chris was just about to start working on Cinderella, he came to me specifically and said he thought of me for, like, the perfect role. And, you know, I'm thinking, I'm not really sure. I was hoping I was doing Cinderella, and he said, well, the very, very mean stepsister, which I wasn't sure if that was such a compliment. But um, You mentioned so really, the friendship had developed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I really helped create this role, Edwina, which I have to say has been one of the best experiences I've had performing on the stage. Um, never, as you mentioned, I've done many lead female roles, which I love dancing. I love being, you know, a romantic you know, getting swept off my feet, beautiful potatoes, that character. Um, but there's nothing like stomping around the stage, throwing your point shoes and, you know, <laughs> being really mean. That um, is really fun to do. Um, that being said, Christopher even widened my horizons even more. And just this past um, fall, I played the stepmother Hortensia for the first time which there's a very, very um, wonderful moment in the ballet where she is a little overserved and dances <laughs> a pas de deux um, tipsy. So, um, so I've really gotten to explore many aspects of my performance ability in this work between dancing Edwina, Hortensia, and Cinderella. 
Um, and then just to speak about Cinderella a little bit, it is, I mean, it's a amazing fairy tale role that every ballerina or little girl for that matter, um, you know, would love to play. I think something that stands out about Cinderella that I love and what Christopher has done is made her um, not only just such a good human being, um, very honest and pure and loving, um, but she's also very strong, which I really admire. So I admire her character. Um, in the very beginning, when the family comes in and it in the verse, first scene, and it's obvious that um, things are not going to be good for her, she um, stands up to her sister Edwina, and I think that kind of sets the tone um, throughout the, the evening of even though she has to serve this family because of her situation, she does it gracefully, and yet she still holds on to who she is. Um, and then, of course, throughout the the story, she meets the prince as a beggar and falls in love with him. Um, and then at the very end, uh, right when they leave the stage to go off for their wedding, instead of, you know, turning and running off the stage, there's actually a moment where she turns and forgives the stepmother for the way she treated her, which I also find um, just, a, just a wonderful moment for her character. Um, and, and, you know, it's just a, a very joyous, loving role to dance within this, you know, the magical stage and creation that the ballet is. Backing up just a little bit to the actual choreography, is it a particularly difficult role, a challenging role, compared to, say, Juliet, compared to um, some of the other Wielden pieces that you've danced so much? I think it's definitely very challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, technically, stamina. Um, you are on stage for pretty much the entire ballet. The only break Cinderella really gets is at the very beginning of second act for maybe the first third, where if you spent, you know, 50 minutes in the first act without ever leaving the stage. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a very demanding role in that regard. Um, and... Technically, it's also quite challenging. You have some very difficult variations, um, as well as pas de deux, um, which, you know, after a, you know, a long evening of dancing is, is always difficult to do. So. <laughs> right. Um, Teet, you have also danced every... As I, I was looking at the list of roles that you've performed just in the bio that we have available to us. And uh, you've definitely done every single Prince. Um, <laughs> and every I single think so, lead, yeah. I think you have. And so it just struck me that I would ask a similar question about um, working in Christopher Wielden's vocabulary, but also for you to just think about princes for a moment and talk about this prince. Why don't you start by talking a little more generally about Christopher Wielden and how you respond to his choreography, and then we can talk about princes. This particular, well, Christopher Wielden's choreography, it's, um, it seems like because this is a classical full-length ballet, he certainly has made it more classical. Um, I feel like a lot of his 
some of his inspiration because I've danced in Birmingham Royal Ballet for six years. I see some Ashton, I see some Macmillan. Yeah. And so I see some influence there, which is wonderful. It's a great influence to have for a great choreographer like Chris. And um, I see that it um, has a little bit of a, a classical gloss on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but his um, one-act ballets that I've danced, um, he is a mover. He, he's always three-dimensional. Everything is not just a classical ballet. Often tends to be very two-dimensional. We're worrying about our lines of how the audience sees it. And uh, Chris is very three-dimensional. He really likes that kind of circular movement and... Um, it's, uh, there's a lot of this in Cinderella with that kind of classical twist. And um, I think the best way I can imagine or describe Chris's choreography, it's kind of like a whip. You kind of start slow and then it just goes whack and then. And it's kind of like has like this beautiful, gorgeous slow. And if, especially if you slow it down. I've seen Chris's choreography fast and slow. It has that kind of nice wave to it. It's wonderful. You'll, you'll see it tonight. And there's so much of it. <laughs> there's just, there's core dances and soloist variations and the principals who just seem to do one pas de deux after the next. Um, so you and princes, um, this is a different prince. Um, certainly, yes. Um, he is a um, happy, happy boy. Um, he's very young. He moves quickly. He doesn't always pay attention. He has a really good friend, Benjamin, who um, I feel like this, his journey really is carried out with the initiative of Benjamin, um, who I think cares for him a lot. Um, I think it's important for Benjamin that mm-hmm. Prince will end up marrying somebody mm-hmm. who he truly loves. Mm-hmm. And um, so he sits on this journey with him, um, getting very creative. And, and um, there's also this great realization in, in the prince and the ballroom where you can see him change from that kind of puppy-ish, boyish persona to a, a maturing man. And um, I think that's really a pivotal point for the uh-huh. prince where he kind of becomes a man and and it's it's fun for the dancer to showcase that to be very young in the beginning to show that change inside him and then at the end being this comforting future husband i think it would be fair to elaborate a little bit on the um the gimmick that the two we'll call them boys Mm -hmm. benjamin and guillaume um perpetrate at in the first act when they actually switch characters. Do you want to explain that a little bit? It happens kind of quickly in the narrative, and I don't know that the audience always catches it on the first viewing. So, so the way I understood this was that um, Benjamin suggests that what if we were to switch roles? What if we go and seek out uh, potential families that could you know potentially be your brides and um they do this switch in the beginning scene where um, the father has this rage and he asks the prince to go and deliver all the the party uh, invites 
And so they do this really clever change where Prince actually gets to see the true personas of these. Uh, I, I also imagine that they visit many families, not just one family. Um, so it's, it's, been a, it's been a quite a journey. And so they stumble upon Cinderella's house and he just falls in love with her, the way she treats him as a human, sees, sees really him. And, um, and I, actually, I just wondered, like, when Cinderella enters, even the, even the ballroom, like, you, you do, like, I always wondered, like, I kind of recognize you, but I'm not sure. But, I mean, you clearly know who I am. And so... But you mentioned that, that he comes to, into your home as a beggar. Initially, and, yes. I mean, and that's, that, that's who he looks like to you anyway, a commoner. And uh, so, yeah, when they meet each other in the ballroom, um, they're Quite back a in their setting. other, and you've got a mask on, so how could he possibly recognize you? It's all very magical. Um, Betsy, back to some aspects about the total production. Um, Christopher has chosen not to tell the story in the familiar, um, well, what's familiar to most of us is the Disney cartoon version, animated version, but um, many of the other ballet versions use a fairy godmother and a pumpkin, but Christopher's chosen not to. Can you... Tell us a little bit more about what was behind those decisions. Well, I can tell you that there is no fairy godmother, but there are the four fates, which um, are sort of like protectors and sort of like spirits to Cinderella who uh, keep her from harm. They catch her when she falls down, and they, they encourage her um, from when she's a little girl. That's those are the fates lifting Cinderella. Her mother's just died, and she's reaching up actually to her real mother who's just passed. And the fates are always there for Cinderella. So I always look at the fates as being kind of fairy godmothers. Um, they lift her and they pardon her. It's almost like kabuki. You're not. She doesn't see them, but she feels them. She feels that kind of love and support from them, and they look after her. Um, so it's different in that way that there's no fairy godmother and there's no pumpkin, but there kind of is a pumpkin, but I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> it's, it there's reference to a pumpkin. A reference to a pumpkin. <laughs> I won't spoil it, though, because it's very beautiful. Well, the other thing is also the role played by the tree, which we've already talked about what it looks like and moves like, but... What is it? What's the point of it? Well, when Cinderella is a very little girl um, in despair, she goes to her mother's grave and she's crying. And the tears that she cries, um, I would say, fall into the ground and a tree grows from those tears right by the grave. So it's kind of like her mother's spirit come to life is the tree. And as the story progresses, tree goes from a little tiny sort of twiggling to um, quite a nice full tree into this giant. It keeps getting bigger as the story goes on until it takes over the whole stage literally and um, is very beautiful and it's changing colors and it's moving parts. 
So the tree grows out of her despair over her mother's death, but it's kind of like hope springs eternal, something like that, that that her spirit is still alive and it's in the tree. And... um lost it. The other question I had for you was um, to just talk a little bit <clears throat> about the, the intricacies of this production. There are 360 costumes. I just find that astonishing. That's more than Nutcracker. Yeah. Um, and there are so many dancers. Dancers are doubling and tripling parts. Um, it must be a real logistical challenge to rehearse. It is, and we, we supplement with students from the San Francisco Ballet School and also from the trainee program, which is the level just uh, before a dancer would become a company member. So we have company members, we have apprentices, trainees, and uh, dancers from the school in the upper levels. And then also when you see young Cinderella and young uh, Prince and young Benjamin, those are students in the school. There are three children in the production as well. So I, uh, almost everybody does three, at least three acts and three parts in the ballet, and they're changing costumes uh, all the time. When they're not on stage, they're off stage uh, changing costumes. So there's a ballet going on in the wings as yeah. well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want you audience members to be thinking of questions that you might like to ask our group here. Um, we are just about at the point where that will be an appropriate thing to do. So if you have questions, start making your way to the center aisle, and we'll jump on them. Um, you touched on the idea of the humor, um, especially the stepmother role and the um, stepsister role. <clears throat> do you... Um, both of you, Teet and, and Sarah, uh, find that this is in your comfort zone to do comic parts. Uh, how does Christopher coach the comedy and the light aspects of dancing these parts? Um, Sarah. So I've done, uh, I would say, two other comedic roles before dancing Edwina. I did the ballerina in the concert and oh, the elephant favorite. in Ratmonsky's Carnival of the Animals. Oh. Um, both really, really fun roles that um, you really have to put yourself out there, which is what I realized doing comedy. You can't be shy. Um, but I think um, because I kind of understood that, um, I really went for it at first. And I think if anything, Chris was really good at keeping me in a good place between too much and obviously not doing enough. Um, so I think there was a lot of trial and error when it comes to doing comedy well. Um, and, and I think that was just in the rehearsal process. And he has some really wonderful um, things in the characters uh, that make them really funny and fun to watch. And um, so Edwina has uh, really bad breath. Um, for instance, <laughs> that's, a, that's a theme, yes. which just comes back throughout the ballet. Um, and so little things here and there that, um, you know, if it's not overly done, it just, I think it really makes the story come to life. So. Um, I would say that, yes, it was a challenge at first. Um, 
having done kind of a lot of this dreamy, somber, kind of depressed princes. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely, it was, it was a challenge. It, it, and like Sarah, you know, this comedy comes really naturally to Sarah. She's kind of like a humble, easygoing person. And it's like a little bit harder for me. Um, but ever since I had a kid, it's, you know, it's been easier. <laughs> and I do enjoy, uh, what I enjoy is really the audience's reaction to, okay, I nailed this joke. Okay, they laughed. They got it. They're with me. I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, and uh, what Chris has done really well is, um, if you know Cinderella's score, which you probably might not even be aware of, is that it's, it's quite a sad, quite a dark score, very depressing and so Chris has really balanced this extremely well with that extremely light comedy that just gets this perfect center line throughout this ballet. It's, um, I think it's incredible oh. to watch, yeah. We have some folks lined up to ask questions. Can you start with it? Good evening. How much time do you have to, to rehearse for a ballet like Cinderella? Um, Betsy. Initially, we had quite a bit of time when it was being created because the creative process takes more time in the studio. And once uh, the ballet was created, which I think we had like four weeks to actually learn it and put it together and, and create it. After that, uh, we're often down to very, very short periods of time, which might be as little as a week. Uh, to put the ballet together, and we have cast members who have done it from season to season, so that helps the process. And I would say for the principals, they always like to start a little bit before it gets into um, into full run-throughs with the full company, so they'll have the principal dancers will have separate rehearsals, which would usually start before the, the big groups to prepare it. Thank and in, in this case, the company did perform Cinderella last fall. Right. We were in so. D.C. In, at the Kennedy Center performing in, it was in October. And so it wasn't that long ago. So it came back very quickly this time, which is a good thing because we didn't have much time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, next question. Yes, I have a question about last night's performance. At the end... Um, Patricia Van Winkle uh, stood and uh, the program explained, the printed program explained that she was retiring after many years as a violinist but then uh, Taras Dimitro was singled out, he played Benjamin and uh, there was no explanation in the program as to what was going on there I just wondered, uh, is he leaving the company or anything? Um, Betsy? Yes, he is. He's leaving the company. And that was his final performance with the company. We'll miss him very much. Yeah. I think there was a Facebook post about that was this it? afternoon. So those of you who follow Facebook can search, seek that out and get the, get the back story. Um, thank you. Next question. Hi, guys. I have one easy short question about the story itself and then another question. The story is I and a number of people I've heard again and again say, why is Cinderella's dad allowing the treatment of Cinderella? 
you know, you don't really get that in the, in the Disney version. But, you know, why does he allow it? And then finally put his foot down. Opinions? That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, he does put his foot down at the end. He's, right. he's really had it. Uh, he defends her um, and is sympathetic to her all the way through, but it takes him a while to put his foot down to really stand up to the stepmother and the stepsisters. Right. I've decided just because he's so broken from his first, the end of his first marriage. We can look at it that way, I think, you know? yeah. <laughs> okay. And my other question is this. It's about stepping in when another dancer is ill or injured or can't dance for any reason. I remember, Teet, when you and Molly had to come in and do act two of Don Q on Gonzalo Garcia's last performance when Tina blew out her knee. And then Vanessa came in and did act three with him. <laughs> but um, these days, I know how it used to be, these days, how does SFB deal with that? Is there always a couple off stage? Or I, as I recall, you had to come from across town having dinner. <laughs> Um, um, can I can I take this? And we are running down to our last minute and a half. So. Okay, good. A concise so, answer. So yes, there's always um, somebody who is standing by, and um, even if they're not available or something has happened to them, th th we can very quickly track down people in this company. And um, dancers are always willing to help out coworkers, and we always try our best to come and show up and save the show. It's uh, kind of an honor to to be considered. Yeah, there's definitely, I think, Bessie, you could corroborate this, but there's someone assigned. Yes, there is. There's, uh, for all of the full-length productions, there is a couple or a solo, whatever it is, there's always someone in the theater who can step in. And that's happened frequently, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm afraid that we are down to the very last question, so. Uh, do you prefer touring or do you like being at home? Uh, it seems like New York Ballet companies, they like touring, but they don't come to the San Francisco area. But I, I see that you guys tour and you go to other cities, and it seems like we have a shortened uh, time to see ballet performances. So the question is, do you rather travel, or is it a different experience? I mean, for me personally, I love traveling with the company and dancing. I think one of my favorite things about being a professional dancer is being able to dance all over the world. But there's also nothing better than dancing for our home audience as well um, that you really get to know and perform for over an entire season. So I think I value both and I enjoy both. Yeah, I agree. It's nice to be home, though. Yeah. I would just add one sort of technical note, and that is that the um, opera and the ballet share this facility. And so one of the reasons why the ballet season is compacted is because the opera has it the other half of the year. So, um, you know, for instance, American Ballet Theater does a winter season and they do a summer season and you can, and then they tour in between. Um, so it there are different reasons why the company spends the time it does at home and why it's on the road the other part of the time. I wish we could keep going on. Unfortunately, we can't. I want to thank Betsy and Teet and Sarah so much for your 
participation and the things you had to offer. I learned things. I do want to call out that Sarah and Teet will be performing, as scheduled anyway, tomorrow night. And for I just think there's something about being scheduled for the very, very last program for the entire season. So they'll be appearing on Sunday afternoon. That'll be special. Um, I know that you'll all enjoy this evening's performance. Don't forget to hand in your survey, and those of you who are not staying for the performance will make your way out to the right. Thank you for being a wonderful audience this season, and we look forward to seeing you next year. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Points of View podcast from San Francisco Ballet. For more podcasts, other engagement programming, or more information, please check out sfballet.org.